to the newest episode of the Honey Pot Podcast. I'm your host, Carmen Hendricks, and I took the lid off the pot today for an extremely special guest. Her name is Nakisa Jackson. Before we get started, I want to make sure all of our listeners remember to subscribe to our podcast so that you will receive all notifications for everything Honey Pot. We're available on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, and now you can find us on Google Play and Stitcher. Search for Honey Pot Podcast. Now, let me introduce today's guest. Nikisa Jackson is an advocate for HIV. Currently residing in Georgia, she is now happily married, a nurse, and a new author. Nikisa's goal is to shed the stigma associated with an HIV diagnosis and has revealed herself to the world for everyone to know that everything is going to be okay. Welcome to the pot, Nikisa. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm so happy to have you here. Now, I know that this is difficult. This has been a difficult journey for you. You, um, if you revealed your status last year in July, was it? Um, yeah, it was around, I want to say it was May. It was May last year. And you have been living with it at the time for nine years. Yes. So what, this, what made you decide to remove your mask? Well, the, my major reasoning for removing my mask was I was suffering, first thing, because I lived in silence. I was working as a nurse, um, so it was very hard for me to be who I really wanted to be. I'm a very open person, and um, I like to educate people. So I would hear a lot of things being said about people with HIV. I would hear a lot of um, just negative things, things that weren't true, and then I would run to people who knew about my status who would want my help to do things like go get tested or they would be concerned and I felt like I was doing a disservice by not making myself available to other people and I I wanted to be just free from the stigma myself because it was it was taking my voice away it was causing me a lot of anxiety it was a lot of work to try to hide who I really was and I just felt like I wasn't being my um, authentic self. And I, and I felt like I needed to do it, but I didn't plan on ever doing it until um, last year. I was, I was going through a point in my life where I was just trying to figure out, trying to like finding myself, trying to figure out what I want to do with my life. Um, and I wanted, I've always wanted to open a medical center for women with HIV. And I thought I could just kind of go under the radar and, God was like, that's not how I want you to do it. And I was like, well, I can't tell people because I'll deal with that same stigma. And I just found out I was living in a lot of fear. And I just thought it would be freeing just to be free from that stigma. I'll be the first person to be free from it. If nobody else will share their status, I'll share mine because I just want to be free from that. All that fear and anxiety, I couldn't live like that anymore. And you said that um, a lot of the professionals that you worked with who were educated, who knew about the disease, were saying things about some of the patients. How did that affect you? Um, it hurt because they would say things, but it didn't make sense. And they were educated, but it was still like you're a healthcare provider, but you still have the stigma because you're still human. So you... Um, you went to school and you learned about it, but you still have the stigma. So it really hurt, but I will always defend it. Um, it bothered me because these were people who cared about me and I cared about them and they just didn't know. 
So I always wonder if they knew, will they treat me differently? So it's, it, it really bothered me like a lot, but I will always use it as an opportunity to educate and, um, and just try not to take it personal and understand that it was a lack of education. Are you still nursing? Are you still in this? Yes. yes, I am. So once you revealed yourself, um, did you notice that there was a change in the way people were treating you? I most actually where I found more, uh, most of the people who I was close to supported me. P the people that were cool with me and that were on my Facebook page, they kind of came up to me and said, I support what you're doing. I don't, you know, they all came to me like, I don't love you no less or anything like that. I got way more support than I thought. I haven't had people at work that I originally spoke to that did, that stopped talking to me because of it. They can get educated now because they know somebody and it's somebody that they care about. And that's what I've noticed about my status overall. People have their thoughts and they find out it's somebody that they love and they change those thoughts. And it makes them want to go get educated and figure out what's going on. Mm -hmm. Now, you uh, were in college when you were diagnosed. You were actually going to Tuskegee yes. at the time. Um, were you already on a path towards nursing or did you change once you received your diagnosis? I actually changed once I received my diagnosis. So when I was diagnosed, I think I was going to school for construction management, actually. So I'm totally different. And um, when I was diagnosed, uh, it's, it's like I, I, how, how my story goes, I got baptized before I found out my status. So it's like I got saved and I got baptized. And I was getting close to God at the time where I found out that I was HIV positive. And um, so it was like I could hear God speaking. And uh, one thing he said is, I want you to go to school to be a nurse. And I pretty much told him that that wasn't possible, that I couldn't, I couldn't become a nurse. Like, why would you ask me to do something like that? And um, started to reveal more to me about what he wanted me to actually do with it. Then I said, well, I'm going to try it. And all I could hear was people saying, oh, it's so hard. And it's just like everything worked out from there. So the decision definitely came after um, my diagnosis. You knew exactly where it came from because in your, um, your testimony, you stated that uh, before you were sexually intimate with the young man, you had already been tested. You had gotten tested. So you knew that you did not have it before your sexual relationship with this man that you had fallen in love with at the time yes can you tell us about that experience when you found out and uh, how he reacted when you confronted him about it okay so okay so when i found when i found out i actually went to a clinic at close to my school like a health clinic and i went there because they were doing like free birth control and I thought that something was going on so I just wanted to get get checked out um so I went there because it was free and I didn't know at a health department they automatically test you for everything so I got a phone call maybe a month after they um after the test and it was a man actually who called me and it was no men there so that was shocking and he was like did anybody talk to you about your test results and I and I was kind of like what are you talking about so I had I had everything done so it could have been, for me, it could have been anything. It could have been my pap smear. It could have been um, any other test that I had. So 
I was like, what are you talking about? And he was like, um, you need to come in. And I was like, well, I'm on campus now. I can't come in. And he said, like, well, you need to come in first thing in the morning. And I was nervous, but then I wasn't nervous because I, it's kind of like, I don't know what he was going to tell me, but I convinced myself that it was minor. I convinced myself that he was just going to tell him something about my pap smear because I, I've never been told I had anything. So I didn't know how that worked, especially not in the health department. And I just remember sitting in a room with him and he had like a three-piece suit on. It just didn't match the atmosphere. I didn't know. I was like, you don't belong here. So I don't know why I'm in this office with you. And I just remember sitting there and he was going through my test results. And I was like, why, does he, why is he going through my test results? They're all negative. And then he said, um, he was like, you're going to risk negative, syphilis is negative, but your HIV test is positive. And I just remember this overwhelming feeling of like, okay, I'm going to kill myself. That's my first thought. Like, I'm going to die. I can't, I'm 18 years old. I can't live this life. So I'm going to die. So I'm going to get up and walk out. So I, I just got up and I walked out of the room. And I like left out of the health department and my um, best friend and roommate was there with me. So she was there and I just remember crying and telling her what they said to me. And he came back and got me and they asked me all these questions. And it was just very, it was a devastating thing because I really felt like there was no life after um, HIV because all I knew was older people got it and eventually um, they get AIDS within 10 years and they die. And being 18, I just felt like my whole life was over. So my initial reaction was horrible. I just thought it was over. Um, and I knew where it came from. So I, you know, after it took me a couple of days and I was like, I got to tell him, but at the time he was still in Atlanta and I was in Tuskegee and he had already kind of, by the time I got my results, he had already, it's like, as soon as I came back to school, he had already started acting funny towards me. Um, so he had already kind of been showing signs that something wasn't right. So after I kind of went through my days, about two months later, I went home and I had decided to come back home to go to school at Georgia State and just leave Tuskegee. And I, well, I knew where he usually would hang. So I went there and I asked him, could we talk for a second? I went with another friend who was, was familiar with him. And I told him, you know, I went to the doctor and, um, and so I have HIV because at this point, I didn't know if he knew or not. I didn't know if he knew his status or because, you know, it's, it's possibility you don't know either. Just like I didn't know. So I didn't know if he knew his status or anything like that. So only thing he said to me was, what you're trying to say, I need to get tested. It was like, it was no shock on his face. It was no um, surprise. It was like, what you're trying to say, I need to get tested. Then he got mad at me and he left. And I was like, that is weird. Like, why would you... You know, and I just didn't feel right. I felt uneasy. And I was like, I don't know. Maybe he's shocked. Like, I, I didn't want to believe it, to be honest. But it was like, mm, something's not right. So I didn't talk to him after that, but I ran to him two times after that. And one of the times he said to me, are you still mad at me? And I was like, what? And he was like, are you still mad at me? And I was like, what do you mean? Am I still mad at you? And he was like, you know, and I was like, oh, so you did know. So it was like, that was his way of admitting that you knew already. So did you, did you report this? Was this reported? Was because that's serious for him to just to know and still and not tell you and then still pass it along. 
no, I did not report it because um, I guess at the time I didn't report it because I was so concerned about myself at the time and me and so young trying to make sure like I was okay and then still just not being um just where my where I was in life and where my self-esteem was in life I still cared about him even though he did this to me mm -hmm. so I did not report him and then I didn't know a lot about going about reporting either so um that's not something when you go when you go and you say what happens to you that's not something that you kind of learn or know a lot about but in retrospect, I probably would have did more too, because at the time I kind of went from, I didn't think about other people or that he could be passing this to other people. I was more like preserving myself and trying to make sure like I'm okay. And um, I had was just on a path to um, try to forgive him, but not, not necessarily forget, but just forgive him so I could move on because, you know, I got saved and God would tell me he would take care of him, you know, vengeance is his. So um, but looking back, I think I would have done more to at least report it so it would be aware, you know, to try to do something. But I just think my lack of education and me just not advocating harder for myself in that way and not considering other people. So it's something I don't necessarily regret it, but I do kind of wish that I at least said something to somebody. So they didn't ask you at the, um, the health department about your sexual partners and... They did ask about my sexual partners, but it was kind of like they said, "Oh, who you been having sex with? Who you had sex with in the last ten years?" So um, I I um, told them, you know, about it, and I told them who I thought it could have come from. But they, in the health department, they come more from a standpoint of we need to tell them something to get tested, not necessarily do you think this person knew. Like they don't ask you things like that at that time, anyway. They didn't ask you things like that. And it wasn't, I think HIV criminalization was very new back then. So it wasn't even something that I had ever heard of that it was possible. And, but what I did learn about HIV criminalization since we're talking about it is that you literally, you have to entrap the person. If that makes sense, you have to you're like record them saying that they knew and all these other things. So it's not a thing of, you could say, I, well, I think I, he knew because this is what, what he said to me, but it was at the time where I was looking it up because I did, I didn't look into it to do it for myself, but once I learned about it, I started looking at people who did um, actually do um, criminalization for other people and they would have to like entrap them. And honestly, at the time, I just wasn't concerned about him. I was more concerned about myself. I guess my my question is, is more, um not necessarily about entrapment, but like you said, um, preventing it from happening to other people. But yeah. I, I, now I question, why would you need to entrap somebody? Because if they've gotten yeah. test results, then they yeah. knew and you know that they know. So what's the yeah. understand how that is, is even, yeah. you know, so yeah. that's something that I need to know. I need to understand because yeah. I didn't think you had to do all of that. Yes, and you do. And I did, um, because I remember watching a girl, actually I saw a video on YouTube and I don't remember her name, but she got with a detective and the detective said, I need to have something saying like of him saying that he knew. And I guess with, you know, you got laws about HIPAA and people's medical information and HIV is considered a disability. So it's probably a thin line. They probably need some type of proof first before they can go any further to try to get their evidence. 
So so I can say like I I know he knew best off what he said, but if if you may talk to him and he could say, oh, I didn't know that, and then you don't really have a case. So I guess it because it kind of intermingles with legal and then medical. So that's the only reason why I could honestly see it being that way. Because I did think if when I found out about it that it should be like, oh well, this person told me, but you got to prove it. That's he say, she say. So you now have a um, a support group for those who've been diagnosed with HIV and you offer conference calls. Um, is this some information that you discuss on those calls? Tell us about that. Okay, so um, when I originally planned a support group, I did want to do conference calls, but I opted into doing a Facebook Live. So what I do is I have the support group. It's a secret group on Facebook, and I go live about different topics. Um, most of my topics are around like um, disclosure processes, um, what you need to talk to your doctor about. Um, just um, and I also share information about like latest research, medical information, just the information. So it's more of informational, and then anything that they may possibly request for me to talk about so we'll talk about relationships and I try to give like talk to them about like um coping skills and different things things that we have to deal with the deal with mentally and physically and things like because me I have the advantage of being a nurse so a lot of things I know medical wise they may not know or what tests they should be asking their doctors for and understanding what that means so I do more of an um, educational thing and then just talking about how I went through disclosing my diagnosis to potential dating partners and um, just kind of moving forward and also accepting your status. And I also blog about a lot of the same topics. So people who are not in the group who aren't, because some people aren't even comfortable enough to get in the group yet. They're not even there. You have blogged about HIV, uh, miscarriages, trying to conceive, um, and then you've also suffered two miscarriages, which has also changed your life and affected you. Tell me how, about that and why you decided to write about that. Okay, so um, when it comes to my miscarriages, I had a miscarriage in January 2016, um, and it's... I thought, you know, when I was diagnosed with HIV, I thought um, I had a perception being so young that that's the that's the only thing that could ever happen to me. Like, I would say, God, you're not going to let nothing else happen to me because that's that's it. That's enough. And um, I grew up and I learned differently. That's not how life works. So when I um, had the miscarriage, it was just it was devastating for me because um, like I talk about in my blog, only thing I saw was two lines. I never got to see an ultrasound. And I was about 10 or 11 weeks, but I just didn't know because I had never been pregnant. So it it devastated me to, like, it just it just took me to a very dark place. Again. I was very depressed. Um, and I was depressed and I became obsessed. So every month I was, like, taking pregnancy tests. I was, like, going crazy and stressing myself out, like, why I'm not pregnant, why I'm not pregnant, why I'm not pregnant. And and then I would deal with days of I didn't want to do anything. I didn't want to get out of the bed. I didn't. I wasn't interacting with my husband. I, didn't, I just didn't want to do anything. And what made me decide to write about it is I needed a, I needed an outlet. Like, I needed to share what I was going through and what I was what I was feeling about um, 
this miscarriage because I I feel like people have miscarriages and people don't talk sometimes they don't talk about them and then it's hard when you get married and people are like when you gonna have a baby when you gonna have a baby and it's like or people say they say when you gonna have a baby and you get sad because like it's not for lack of trying I've had miscarriages or people say things like oh y'all I had my baby young y'all gonna be old having y'all children and it's like you don't understand how that makes somebody like me feel who would have wished they had a baby already Mm-hmm. So it's just, it was a good outlet for me to kind of process things. So, um, what type of precautions do you have to take uh, while trying to conceive? Now, um, it's two things that that are possible. So, um, the um, the CDC has published the research. It's called undetectables, untransmittable. So, as long as I take my medication, I've been undetectable for six months. We can have um, children the natural natural family planning way without him getting infected. And he also could have the option of taking, he could take PrEP, meaning he could take uh, um, HIV medication every day and, it'll, it'll, and it's like double prevention on both sides. So that's that. So there are still other ways where people will go do in vitro, or um, if a male has it, they still have like sperm washing. But a lot of people are having babies like natural, natural family planning because of the H, how good the HIV medications are, and they keep the virus so low that you can't transmit the virus to anybody. So now you've you've mentioned that you have a husband. Congratulations! Thank you. Yeah. Um, tell us how you met your husband and that whole process and, and how you revealed to him that you were HIV positive. Okay. So I met my husband actually on um, a dating site and um, I had a friend that convinced because I wasn't, uh, I never had got on dating sites because I just didn't believe in that type of thing at the time. I'm kind of old school. I was like, you can't meet nobody of quality on those sites. And um, so I met him on a dating site and um, and we hung out a few times. And then when I realized, so when I disclosed to people, I, I've learned over time because I've had some, I've learned a lot by disclosing. When I feel like, I wait until I feel like it could possibly go somewhere and I know that I like the person. So when I was getting to that point, I didn't want to wait too late. So one day um, we were, we were hanging out and I, um, I told him that I needed to tell him something, and um, and he was like, "What do you need to tell me?" And I was like, "Well, um, a while ago, I went to the doctor a few years ago, and I was diagnosed with um, HIV." And he was silent at first, and then he accused me of lying. Actually, he told me, "You're lying. You just want me to run away from you. Like you don't." Um, so it was a reaction I didn't expect. Because he really didn't believe that I had it. He was like, you don't have HIV. You're telling stories. Like, you just, you th- you're trying to run me away. And I was like, no, I'm not. I really have HIV. So first I had to convince him that I was telling the truth, which was weird. Usually I'm, I don't usually get that reaction. So I had to, like, show him my medication. He still didn't believe it. So, and then he started asking me questions. And so I started to kind of, like, educate him about the medication and then he started um, telling me about family members that he had and um, the type of way, how he was educated. And then he started saying, well, you know, like a lot of my family members, they progress to AIDS. So um, they don't look like how you look, 
but they they just chose some of them just chose different routes some of them didn't take medication so it was different and it was years ago um so he was more he was more shocked and then he was more shocked because he didn't believe because he thought I was lying but he I would say he took about a day or so that he came back and was like you know I know that you have this but I I still want to pursue a relationship with you so he said he was actually okay with it and he was willing to like learn and um understand about how we can keep ourselves protected and things like that. I know someone who was very close to me who was diagnosed uh, with HIV and um, felt the same way, thought that they were not going to find anybody. And, yes. uh, and I'll let, I let this person know you, you can't say that you won't find anyone because you never know. You know, there may yeah. be somebody out there that's going through the same thing that you're going through that feels the same way. You know, go to some support groups. And, you know, I've, I've heard of some stories where um, people have been diagnosed and they were still able to reveal it to someone and, and get married yes. and live happily ever after. So it's not far-fetched because I've heard it happen before. Yes. So um, one thing that I'd like for all of our listeners and viewers to know is that the most important thing is to get educated. Think about life and how you want to live your life. You can't think about how other people will view you or what they say or how, you know, do you care? If they're not taking care of you, if they're not contributing to your household, you know, you may have a friend today and may not speak to them ever again. You never know. So you have to live your life. And I, I commend you for coming out and living your life and being that advocate for those people who are afraid and who don't know where to turn and, and what they need to do, what their next steps are. But I do have a question. You you mentioned the medicine. I've heard of some medicines that have caused seizures and um, anxiety. So people have to take another type of medicine for anxiety. Do you have any of those reactions? No, not with the um, medication. I take, I take one of the newer, med- newer medications and they have... They have a possibility of side effects, like um, most common side effects for my medications are actually gas and like headaches. And then they ha- also have some of the more serious side effects, like they can affect your um, liver, you can affect your kidneys. But I haven't had any particular issues, but I used to take, I did have to go through a period where I took a medication that did give me a lot of problems, but I was able to change um, I did take a medication that made me have very vivid dreams. It made I was I wasn't able to focus very well, and um, it just made me feel lightheaded all the time. And I was in college at the time because when I was first diagnosed, I didn't take medication for about four or five years. Um, so I was in college and I got with an infectious disease doctor, which is very important for people with HIV to actually have a infectious disease doctor. And that doctor switched it because he said it's not since it's a good medicine and it got me undetectable, like very, very fast, but it wasn't good for me. So he switched me to something else that was better for me as far as me being in school. So it didn't give me so much of the, the I, I wasn't dizzy and um, having crazy dreams or anything like that. Okay. You lost a lot of friendships because of your HIV status. Um, tell us about that and how that affected you. Well, um, with the friendships that I did lose, um, it at, in the beginning, it was kind of hard, but it's like I kind of 
took it like, well, obviously this person wasn't really my friend. Um, because if they were, they would support me or be honest about how they feel about my status. So it hurt because I'm a very sensitive person. I take my friendship seriously. But it's kind of like I looked at those particular people like it's it's okay because everybody's not going to understand what I understand. And and I always tell myself, like, would, I always ask myself, would I be at that time, would I have been open to um, having a friend who had HIV and I was uneducated? So I um, it hurt, but at the end of the day, the people who are really my friends are still my friends. Okay, now let's shift gears a little bit and talk about your book. You've written a book, um, yes. and it's entitled Life After HIV, Removing the Mask. Tell us about your journey towards writing this book and what the book is about and what you want people to take away from it. Okay, so my journey from writing this book, um, I've always been a writer since I was younger. And I knew that I would one day write this book. Like, I've been knowing for a while that I would one day write this book. But I let a lot of factors, like my husband, um, be a factor when he wasn't an actual factor, I would say. Like, I can't share my story because my husband would, you know, I, I have to think about him or I have to think about my family or I have to think about other people. I wasn't thinking about the story. That, I wasn't thinking about the people it would help. I only was thinking about the people that might um, be hurt from it or not not be happy that I would share my story with people. Um, so it took me a while to like just sit down and write. And I, you know, I was like, you know, I got to do this. I have to share and show what I've learned um, in this process because some people are sharing, you know, their story. You have a few people who write books, books about their life, but it's like, I, I want to share like, my story but I, I don't I also want to share how I got through it and how and you know and give tips for how you could possibly get through it so um what I want people to take away from my book is that um I didn't let something stop me so whether you have HIV or you you have uh, some other uh you get you have miscarriages or if you have some other thing that came in your life as a, as a stumbling block you can jump over that stumbling block you, you know, you can fight. It's not going to be easy. It may not be easy, but you can get through it and you can actually live your life abundantly and do the things that you want to do and not let it cause you to go back and say, well, I can't do this. Or I, and put limits on yourself, pretty much. So I just want this book to show that no matter what obstacle life throws at you, you can find a way to navigate and get through it. You have a vision to open a comprehensive medical center where individuals with HIV can receive education and treatment. Tell us about that and how far along you are in the process of making that vision a reality. My comprehensive medical center that I would like to open, um, I want, like, like you said, I want to do provide the medical services and I also want to provide social services and also have like um, support groups as well and, and also have education for people who aren't HIV positive. So, because I feel like we have to treat people who are HIV positive, but we also want to stop stop the spread of HIV and also um, make sure people are very educated on it. Because I didn't get educated until after I was diagnosed. Mm -hmm. And at that point, it was like, it's good. Okay, I'm finding this information out now, but some of this information could have helped me before. Um, you know, if I knew, and I knew the importance of getting tested, but it was more of a, 
nonchalant kind of thing. Like, yeah, I'll take the test more so than me actively making sure that I'm doing everything that's necessary and making sure that my self-esteem and how I feel about myself and that I have, that I can advocate for myself to say, you know, I'm not going to do that. Um, so I just want to provide those type of services. And as far as where I am, my actual book lunch, which is March the 3rd, is going, I'm going to be talking about, um, I'm going to be talking about opening my um, medical center. So it's going to be like a HIV awareness event as well. And I'm actually doing some collaborations with this uh, organization called Project South, who I've been a part of since I was 12, I helped start their youth council. Actually, my grandfather, Jerome Scott, was the founder of this organization. And um, we actually met last week, and we're going to be doing some nurses' station Saturdays where I'll start, like, I'll be there on Saturdays, and people from the community can come and see what kind of health services they need, they need and things like that. So I'm going to start doing some collaboration work with them um, starting very soon, after, starting this spring, I would say. And um, we're going to start doing those type of things. And now I'm in actual school to become a nurse practitioner. So um, so I can also be able to provide uh, the services at the um, Comprehensive Medical Center. So that's about how far I've gotten. So now I'm, I'm more on the educational part right now. So I want to do um, a few um, awareness events. And I'll be working through uh, Project South. And they have a, um, I think it's called the Georgia Mutual Aid Center. So they're just, just providing services for that immediate community started with the immediate community that they're in and then we'll grow from there i have a question that i want to ask you um that i should have asked earlier but i i was kind of just engrossed in your story um when you found out that you were hiv positive did you immediately tell your parents and if if you did what was their reaction oh okay (laughs) so um with my Father, I didn't immediately see this. It's happened to me. I found out, like I say, on March. I didn't tell anybody until I got back home, which was around May. So it was a couple months. So it wasn't immediate. Um, I immediate. I told my father first because I was on his insurance. So um, I needed to go see a doctor. I needed to go see a doctor. So I had to have an appointment. So I I didn't even know how to ask for an appointment. And it's like, that's the kind of stuff I want to teach. But I didn't know how to ask for an appointment. I got this diagnosis. Into, so I actually just like, I told him I just want to do a wellness visit because I didn't know what to, who to ask for, what kind of doctor to ask for. So um, I told my uh, father first because I had a family member on that side that had it, that I was close to. So I started with them. I started with telling that family member and my father. And I wasn't going to tell my mother. Me and her at that time, we just um, we just didn't have that close-knit relationship. So I wasn't going to tell her at all, actually. But my family member convinced me that I should tell her. Um, so you should tell her. I told my mother, and it was a lot of source of support. So I took this advice, and I told my mother, but it wasn't um, the reaction that I wanted. I just think she was, my mother was scared because he was like, don't tell nobody, don't, you know, like, I had a folder with a whole bunch of information that I had researched and had my test results in. She, like, took the folder because I was going to school at Georgia State, and she was like, you're going to be on campus, you don't want people to find out. Like, she was more, she was, I think she was scared for me 
more than anything. So it wasn't, um, for me, it wasn't a good place of support at the time. But I did have people to support me. It just wasn't from my parents. Not even your father after you talked to him and he had gone through it with other family members? No, that's the best answer, no. I'm, I just don't have, like, for me, um, how I grew up, and I, and I talk about this in the book. So for me, my, a lot of my support came from my auntie. I had a mentor. That, so a lot of my support came from there more so than my parents and my father like I grew up with just my mother I grew up in the house with my mother like he was kind of in and out like I was seeing for a few years not seeing for a few years so we didn't have that type of relationship where I would come to him anyway he was not somebody I went to for support I guess that would be the best way to put it and I don't uh, he would be more like are you okay like I didn't I don't think at the time he knew how to support. This, this is a question that I ask everyone. And um, you have honestly um, inspired me um, to come out and tell your story, to remove the mask, to be available to help other people who have gone through it and to help those who are family members of those who are going through it. That is impressive in itself. And then also to, to go get educated and then continue your education so that you can open up this, this health center is wonderful. It's wonderful. So what does success look like to you at this point? Success to me at this point, it looks like people being educated, people getting tested and not being afraid of people like me so success would be people feeling very comfortable to say you know what I'm going to get tested do you want to get tested with me I'll get tested with you or if people say well people are sharing their diagnosis people aren't running from them or saying oh okay and they're never speaking to them again because of their diagnosis so to me stigma would be eliminated that's success to me now we're at a point where I asked what's in the honeypot and you've listened okay. to some of my shows before, so you already know what it is. Uh, but for those who who are new, I want to know what's on your music playlist. So what's in your honeypot? Uh, what's in my, oh, Tasha Cobbs all day. Um, and Janae. I'm really like, Janae Echo, that, it, the album's old now, I think. She's all in my playlist every day, all day. Her and Tasha Cobbs. Which would you say is your favorite artist? What's your favorite song? I always tell people I'm so not a fan of nobody. But I would say my favorite artist would actually have to be Riri, Brianna. And my favorite song by her are You The One. You know that song? Mm-hmm. Yes. So that was, that was, she would have to be my favorite artist because she doesn't make a song I don't like. I actually like that album. I had that album. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I yeah. think I bought it on Google Play. And I changed my account and I didn't, oh. I didn't switch it over. So oh, if wow. I log into my other account, I'm sure I can find it. Yeah. But I, I like, can't find it. It's too much though. I'm not doing all that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I got Apple Music. So I got all the albums on my phone. Like, let me just download, download. Mm. See, I don't, I don't like the concept of Apple Music because if you stop paying, you lose all your music. You know, that, that. That makes a lot of sense. I guess for me, since I just pay for the student discount, I'm all right. Oh, yeah. But that makes that make sense, though. I, girl, yeah. I just be enjoying it. Well, I, I, I'm a, because I, you know, we're both authors or whatever. I'm, I will pay for music, everybody. And I'm just going to say that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
I'm not going to do like the, I don't really like the, like the Apple music. I don't have a title account or anything mm-hmm. like that. Um, I do have a SoundCloud account, but it's because it came with my uh, package. I have a whole package, but oh, I will okay. buy an album. So if it's a, a song that I like, I will download it. If it's an album that I like, I will download it. I'll pay for it because yeah. I want people to reciprocate that with me when they yeah. see my books and, and those types of things. So kind of, you know, put out there what you want to get back type situation. Yeah. yeah. I, um, only reason I got it, my, my husband is, um, he does music. So he like, oh, you need to get Apple music because before, um, when that, before they had Apple Music, I was the type like I had. I'm the only. I would pay for all these, like Beyonce, Rihanna. If I wanted it, um, I would. I would do it, and that's all I would listen to. Like, cause um, I've had an iPhone for a while. You couldn't do free music, so before they came out with this Apple Music, that's all I would do. Is I would just buy it, and I would like me and my friend at work. I mean, me and my friend at work saying like, we gotta stop. We keep on buying all this stuff off um iTunes. We're gonna be broke. <laughs> and I'm like, but the music, because I'm like, but I need these songs. Like, I can't listen to Pandora, because that's when everything was Pandora. Mm-hmm. Like, I can't keep listening to Pandora and all the commercials. I need my music to be on play. And then when you um go to the gym and stuff like that, you need that music. Like, mm-hmm. So, yeah, so I, I do believe in, in paying. Well, thank you for sharing with us. Do you have any last words for our viewers and listeners? Yes, I um my last words would be that I hope that you guys got something from this video and also I, if if nothing if you didn't get anything else go get tested. Please go get tested. It's free. Um you know, 50 and 51% of people 13 to 24 don't know their status. Okay, and one in four women are HIV positive, and one in five people living with HIV don't know their status. So, it's life after HIV, know your status. That that really, that's how we can stop spreading HIV. Before I let you go, there is something that you mentioned um, that I would like to uh, talk about, and that's prep, um, because a lot of people don't know what it is. I didn't know what PrEP was until I'm, I live in Miami now. I didn't know what it was until I saw a commu- commercial here yes. in Miami. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if, if you don't mind, can you share with everyone what that is? Okay, so PrEP is pre-exposure prophylaxis. Um, for That's what it stands for, P-R-E-P. And pretty much that is, I think the only approved medication is Truvada. It's the HIV medication. It's not a combo. It's a single drug. And you take, if you're HIV negative, you can take it and it will prevent you from um, getting HIV. So even if you come in contact with the virus, you will not get the virus. And they, it has a lot of positive research. Like the research is amazing. So that we don't have a cure, but HIV medication can be used as treatment and prevention. And one thing that people need to understand with PrEP is you have to be um, tested before they will give it to you. And then you have to go and get tested every three months to keep yes. the prescription, right? Yes, that's true. To make sure that you're still um, HIV negative because when you're HIV positive, like I take one pill a day, but it's four, four medications in that one pill. So um, they work on different parts of the life cycle. So most, you know, most of the results have been good and people have not been con- contracting the virus on this PrEP medication. But if you were to, you would definitely have to change your regimen. One thing that also I want everyone to know is that it is not just a disease 
for homosexuality. It affects everyone. I know that that's, that's something that we hear all the time and that we hear, you know, and, and yes, I know that there are a lot of people in the homosexual community, especially um, our black men. Um, I think there was a statistic in Atlanta, one if, of one out of two homosexual black men have been diagnosed with HIV. Yes, according to this, the CDC, one in two gay black men will be diagnosed with HIV at some point. Wow. It's because of that statistic that it's so scary. Um, yes. and, then, and then in Atlanta, Atlanta has the stigma of being a down low. Yeah, um, uh, a man sex, they call it MSM, men sex men. Yes, mm-hmm. that's very scary. That's very, very scary because um, that's also how a lot of women end up with it because the men are, you know, secretly sleeping with other men, but then they're sleeping with mostly women. Something about HIV is that it's, you know, men can contract it from women, but it's a lot harder because they're the receiving partner. But it's easier for men, women to get it from men. I hope I said that right. So women, it's not as easy to pass it along to a man because what you'll find is a lot of women get diagnosed when they're pregnant and the person who they got pregnant by don't have it. They got it from a previous partner. And then their child goes on to be HIV negative. So the research has been there for a while about women um, passing out. It's possible, but usually the women pass it when they're first diagnosed or when they um, advance towards when when they're not in the latent period of when they're not... Um, when you first get HIV, you're very infectious. But then after a few months, you go into a latent period where you may not have no symptoms. They call it, a lot of people used to call it dormant at that time. People would say, oh, you're dormant for 10 years or something like that. But really, it's just you don't have no symptoms. And then um, if you're not getting any treatment, you can progress to AIDS where you'll start having symptoms. And then your infection, your um, chances of passing, you're really infectious and have a higher chance of passing. You can still pass it as a woman in that. Uh, asymptomatic period without medication you definitely can pass it but it's just um it's a, a lower chance a lot lower than a man passing to a woman well i hope that everyone um who has listened and watched today has really taken to heart your words have been educated if you would like to reach out to her so that you can get more information this is where she can be found okay you can find me on facebook my name is Nikisa jackson um, and on YouTube, same name. Um, and on Instagram, um, NLB Total Health. And I have a, my blog is www.aniajackson.com. That's A-N-I-Y-A-H-J-A-C-K-S-O-N.com. Okay. I'll make sure that all of this information is in the description so that you guys can click and find her. Um, don't forget, she also has a secret group. Um, so if you have been affected by this disease and you would like more information or support, then feel free to reach out to her so that you can become a part of that group. Um, I'd like to go ahead and read my Carmenism for today. And that is love yourself and find your happiness. No one has the right to make you unhappy. So don't give them that power. Don't let fear hold you back from the one thing you deserve. Find your happy. And don't let anyone in your space who threatens to take it away. All right. Thank you so much, Nikisa, for joining today's show. I really appreciate you talking to me today. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. I hope to have you back soon. Um, 
And and hopefully at that point we'll be working on helping you fundraise so that you can get this. Um, yes, <laughs> yes, 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 yes. I want to thank our audience for taking the time to listen to the Honey Pot Podcast today. I'm your host, Carmen Hendricks. Please be sure to subscribe to us and like us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram using the handle at Honeypot Podcast. You can also find me at CarmenHendricks.com. That does it for today's podcast. I'm putting the lid back on the pot. We'll see you next time. Goodbye. <laughs>